This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. wants to believe that their guy is going to be the guy that washes out. Nobody wants to believe that a month and a half after the NFL draft, their team is the one that screwed up in the first round, right? They don't want their guy to be Aaron Curry. They don't want their guy to be Jamarcus Russell. They don't want to be the team. Just please don't let it be my team. Even if the guy's not even a superstar, just don't be the team that whiffs on Trent Richardson or Rick Myrer or any of these other guys, please just don't let it be my team. But we're going to talk about the guys who are going to do that to their team, or at least have the, the highest likelihood. I'm Luke Easterling. I'm here with Brian Perez. It's always draft season on this show. And we're going to talk about the top five players in this 2020 NFL draft class who are the most likely to bust in their NFL careers. Brian, are you ready to get tomatoes virtually thrown at us? Because we're already going to ruin the careers of five players each tonight. Luke, I am, I was born for this kind of stuff, man. This, this is what we live for as draft analysts. It's not just trying to find the guys who are going to be great, but the secret sauce is trying to also figure out who to stay away from, especially, you know, last episode, we talked a lot about fantasy football and that spills over into this as well. You want to make sure you're not the team that ends up with the first round rookie who, who really washes out, like you said, after a couple of years. But, you know, it's also everybody's draft evaluation. Everybody's prospects for their future in the NFL is at an all-time high. This is the highest for most of these guys that their projection essentially will ever be is in these months following the draft. I mean, we know, Luke, draft history maybe half of these first round picks end up panning out and less than that actually end up becoming stars in the league. So it's not going to be, you know, an anomaly for the 2020 draft to have multiple first round busts. And we're going to do our best to kind of figure it out. So what we're going to do here is count down in reverse order from five to one. Luke and I have not shared our lists with each other. So we're going to react in real time to who we think should be on the list. Do we agree with it? Do we disagree with it? And we're going to flip back and forth. So I'll read my number five. Luke, you give your number five, and we'll go in descending order from there. And I'm going to start this off, Luke, with my number five, and it's a hot take. And I want to preface this by saying, you know, first, and maybe Luke, we should kind of talk about this before we get into the list. What actually is a draft bust? What's a first round bust? If you had to define it for the listeners, Luke, and, and, and kind of preface what your list is, is built around, to you, what is a bust? I think it, it depends on what you believe you should get out of a first round pick. It, and I think that while, you know, definitions can, can vary from team to team or, you know, person to person, reader to reader, listener to listener, I think that you have got to come away with, with a first round pick who not necessarily makes Pro Bowls because, you know, we've seen the Pro Bowl become such a popularity contest and you can't really measure that by that. But, but there is a consensus. I don't know if it's the, you know, the social version of a Madden rating, but we know which guys make a difference on Sunday and which guys don't. And, and I think while it may be tough to, to put that on paper sometimes in terms of accolades and who's leading the league in what, I think if you have a guy who doesn't merit a second contract from your team, that's, that's on my list. Uh, if he, depending on how high you take him, doesn't end up being a guy who is at least contending for pro bowls and all pro. If he's not one of those guys, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that guy didn't get that, you know, 
award or that accolade after the season he just had. He finished, you know, top five in this category, top 10 in this category. He was one of the best in this. He set the rookie record for such and such. It, you know, there's just, he's got to become an impact player for your team. And I think really getting that second contract has a lot to do with saying whether or not that player was a bust. So that's a big one for me. I completely agree. Like to me, first round picks should be the foundation of a playoff contender after like a five-year cycle of drafts. So let's look at general managers. Let's look at a guy like Ryan Pace, for example. And you guys out there in the It's Always Draft Season community, you'll probably hear a lot of Bucks and Bears references just because that's just the teams that Luke and I cover on a daily basis. But the Bears, Ryan Pace, this is he went through five drafts already. And you look at the 2020 NFL season, and there's only two first-rounders on this roster, Mitch Trubisky, and Roquan Smith. Now, granted, he traded two of his first rounders away for Cleo Mack. So you could argue that that was a great investment well, use of those picks. But guys like Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, those players, I mean, we're, we're five years removed. We're in, within this five-year window. Those guys obviously are busts. And if you don't get the kind of return from your first round picks where let's say Kevin White and Leonard Floyd and, Leonard, Leonard Floyd and Roquan Smith and Mitch Trubisky, if all those guys do what a first round pick is supposed to do, you got a pretty goddamn good core of players that you're building a playoff team around. So in my opinion, you are expecting that level of returns from a first round pick. And that's a very high level, a very high bar to hit, which is why more guys wash out than not. So since we kind of have a little bit of a background here, Luke, and you talked about earning a second contract as one of your threshold measurements here for a bust, fantasy football players are not going to like who I think has a chance to be a bust from this draft. And that is the first round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And here's you why. You were right. You were right. I wasn't going to get that. Yeah, I told you you weren't going to get this one. You did. I don't think he's going to be a bust from, product, from a production standpoint. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be a very good running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to do things that everybody is kind of predicting he's going to do right now. But the question that I have is, will, is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the right use of that first-round pick? Could they have waited until round two to draft a running back who will produce the exact same level of returns that Edwards-Hilaire is going to produce in 2020 and at a position where he might have earned that second contract? The chance that Edwards-Hilaire is on the Kansas City Chiefs five years from now in my opinion, is slim to none. Because by the time five years rolls around, if they pick up his fifth-year option, he's going to be a player, unless he's Christian McCaffrey. And we know there are very few guys walking planet Earth like him. Unless he's Christian McCaffrey, most running backs don't get that second contract without some significant holdout or argument against the merits of giving that guy that deal. So the Chiefs have the luxury of taking a player like that at 32 because they just won the damn Super Bowl. Who cares, right? And he'll probably bring that offense to another level. So the player is going to produce like a high-level running back, but the pick and what you should get from a first-round pick from a long-term team-building standpoint, it'll produce short-term results, but in the long run, it could set the Chiefs back a little bit because they don't have a first-rounder getting a second deal. Yeah, I can see that. And I'm a guy who's a huge Edwards Hilaire fan. I talked about it in the last episode, I think, where, you know, I've traded up to number one already in my dynasty draft because I, I want that guy. And, and I don't even need him to get a second contract for him to be worth that to me if he gives me a title or two over the next four or five years. Um, but it makes sense what you're saying, because I'll look at it from a, you know, a wins over replacement standpoint. If you look at how much better do you think that offense is going to be with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, as opposed to a guy named, you know, like Damian Williams, who in my opinion should have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. I understand how those things work, but is he really that much better than what the chiefs either already had on the roster or would have been able to get in any manner of other ways, whether it was investing a, a later pick or getting a guy in free agency, uh, you know, how much less would it really, how much of a drop-off would there really have been and would that have allowed him them to spend that first round pick on a guy at a more premium position who would have earned a second contract or would be more likely to uh, at a more important position? It's really hard to argue with with your thought process. Like you said, I think even if Edward Solaire is who they expect him to be over his first contract, there's no guarantee that that's going to warrant a, a big extension because we've seen how badly that goes when you give big money on second contracts uh, to running backs. 
Who's your five? My five is I'm going to start a little higher than 32. I'm going to go to, to the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to go with Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle. I, I knew they had to come out of this first round with an offensive tackle. You've got three first-round picks. You get your quarterback at five, and you know one of those next two guys has to be an offensive lineman, most likely an offensive tackle. But when you trade away one of the best left tackles in the entire NFL in Laramie Tunsil, you better get a guy who's going to be able to, to start right away and replace him immediately, especially if you're expecting to make Tua Tungavailoa your starter as soon as possible, and he's coming off some serious injuries. I feel like Austin Jackson just wasn't the guy. I feel like there were other tackles on the board. I, I was a huge fan of Isaiah Wilson. I know he's more of a right tackle, uh, but I still think he would have been a better overall pick there in terms of value. Um, he was picked later in the set, almost at the end of the first round. Um, there were just a couple other tackles there that I thought made more sense. And I just don't see a guy who is going to be ready week one, maybe even next year to be really a, a blue chip left tackle in this league. I think he's going to have a real rough rookie season. Uh, and again, if it doesn't happen quickly in that year too, we could really start to see him struggle and really wonder if he was worth a top 20 pick. So spoiler alert, I'm going to withhold my Austin Jackson commentary until a little later in this segment, because he's <laughs> on my list. And we'll just have to wait to find out where let's move to number four. Luke, who's your number four guy? My number four guy is uh, a few picks ahead of that. He's the guy in the first round that went, there was the greatest gap between where he was on my, my big board and where he went in the draft. I think I had him somewhere in the sixties, late second, early third round range. Uh, but the Atlanta Falcons took AJ Terrell at number 16 overall uh, as the, one of the, I think it was the third corner off the board. Uh, and it was just way early for me. It's not that I didn't expect it based on what I kind of knew about where he was going to go, but compared to what I saw on film, I just saw a guy who, yes, has great size, great length, good athleticism and, and has the physical tools, but man, the consistency just wasn't there. And I'm not just talking about one game. I'm not, you know, anybody can get abused by Jamar chase for 60 minutes and, and, you know, live to tell the tale. So that that's not that game. I saw that throughout his time at Clemson where yes, he would have big plays and yes, he would flash those, you know, moments where you could see the potential. Uh, and I guess that's what some teams want to draft in the top 20. I just didn't see the consistency. And I saw, you know, other corners, you know, guys like Christian Fulton from LSU who ended up going on the back end of round two. You're telling me I can get that guy in the second round. And I spent a top 20 pick on AJ Terrell. I just, I, I see huge bust potential there for him. You know, cornerback is such a tricky position. It's one of my least favorite positions to evaluate coming into the draft because the really, really good cornerbacks usually don't get a lot of action on Saturdays because they're not being targeted. And, you know, when you do have a few in, you know, rare moments where a quality corner does get beat, that stuff jumps out off the tape and it sticks out like a sore thumb over the hundreds of reps where they look like it's just an average football play that goes in the other to the other side of the offense because AJ Terrell is doing his job like a competent quality corner, but he doesn't jump off the film as this dazzling playmaker that you'd expect a top 20 cornerback to be. But at the same time, cornerback is kind of like offensive tackle in the NFL draft. You have to chase it. Sometimes you have to overdraft it in order to, to kind of scratch that lottery ticket and find a guy who can evolve into a legitimate starting quality corner in the NFL. And I think AJ Terrell is going to be that you know, like he's six foot, 195 pound cornerback, really good size. And for the most part, his career at Clemson profiled like a first round pick. Now maybe he would have been, maybe people would have liked the pick a little more if he came off the board between 25 and 32. So going where he went, maybe about 10 picks too early, but does it even matter right now? I mean, who cares anymore? I mean, they have AJ Terrell, number 16 pick overall. He's going to start for them. And I think he'll be a quality player who probably will like toe that line of being just good enough to be like a starter for maybe even a second contract, but not elite enough to say, man, he was a really good use of that number 16 pick. It depends how much you place on just starting cornerback value. If you value that highly and you're willing to, to take that, if it's such a high ranking position in your system and scheme where you want those guys in abundance, then it's not a bad pick. So I don't necessarily agree with you, Luke. I don't think that was a bad one. I don't think he's going to be a bust. But I'll go to my uh, number four. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to disagree with you. Number four on my list, and this makes me so happy to say. I mean, this is, the, this is for all the Bears fans that are out there. This is what we live for. 
it's not just cheering for the Bears and hoping for team success, but it's also cheering against the Packers and, and just loving when they're just, just making mistakes. And drafting Jordan Love in the first round was such a gaffe by the organization who has one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever played the game still behind center and should be behind center for the next, I don't know, three or four seasons. I mean, his arm has lost nothing. He still has as much juice in that right arm as he's had pretty much over the last five years. So there's no reason to suggest the end of the Aaron Rodgers era is coming. And even if they were ready to move on from him, maybe looking at a one or two year plan, I'm not quite sure that Jordan Love is the guy to be the heir to Aaron Rodgers' throne. Jordan Love, to me, is a developmental quarterback. I wasn't totally sold on him being a surefire first-round pick. I know that that was the popular narrative for him coming into the draft. And, and yeah, down at the Senior Bowl, Luke, we were there. We saw him throw the ball. He's got a live arm. He's, he can make all the throws. But he did have a, a, two, a senior season this year where he made a lot of bad decisions, threw a lot of interceptions. He's not ready to play as an NFL starter anytime soon. One could argue that's why the Packers took him. They don't need him to start anytime soon. But even when he is ready, is he going to be a high-level, top-tier starting quarterback in this league? You do not spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, Luke, unless you know he's going to be the guy. I don't care if it's the number one pick or the number 32 pick. When you make a first-round selection on a quarterback, you are saying, sooner than later, that guy's going to be our starter. And I think it's a terrible use of that pick for the Packers. When they could have went with a wide receiver – and given their franchise quarterback the help he needs to extend his career. Like, I, I don't want to get too far off track here. I don't want to grade the pick. It's not like we're looking at this and saying, was it a good pick or bad pick by the Packers? It's just, will Jordan Love be a bust or not? In my opinion, as a quarterback prospect, he doesn't profile as a first-round surefire guy. And when you add the pressure of having to replace Aaron Rodgers onto that scouting report, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. I think the Jordan Love pick will ultimately fail. Yeah, I didn't like it either. And again, I don't want to get into grading it, but I completely agree in the fact that it just didn't make sense for a team that is is close and contending and needs to support one of the best quarterbacks in the game in the twilight of his career. He's still got enough in the tank, Aaron Rodgers does, to to take this team to a Super Bowl. And you you don't you not only draft his replacement it's not like you it's not like what happened with the Packers and Rodgers. It's not like you had a guy who could have gone number one overall fall to you in the 20s and he falls into your lap and you're like wow you know I, I guess we should probably plan for the future we got Brett let's go ahead and stash this guy you know we really can't pass this guy up they not only took a guy who could have easily been a second round pick a day two guy he was for me barely snuck into my top 50 overall but you traded up to get him it's the complete opposite in both ways you, he didn't fall to you and he wasn't a guy who was you know, supposed to go way higher that you just couldn't pass up. I, I didn't see that. I don't see that working. Uh, hopefully he doesn't bust and, and spending time behind Rodgers gives him a chance to succeed uh, in that offense. Cause you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to talk about guys we get, think are going to bust, but we want to be wrong about all these guys. We want them all to succeed. They've put way more work into what they're doing than we probably have into what we're doing. So, you know, we want everybody to succeed. I just don't know if it happens there in Green Bay for Jordan Love. I could see him actually being more successful with a second team uh, than being successful in, in Green Bay, which you as a Bears fan would really enjoy seeing that. Hey, look, like I said, I, it, it was one of the highlights of the – early 2020 season now was watching Packers Twitter implode and just cannibalize itself with wanting to believe that the Jordan love pick was the right selection. And part of the fan base applying logic and saying, well, wait, wait a second. You know, we didn't have to go there yet, especially when you look ahead in the 2021 draft and say, there's more legitimate quality first round quarterbacks in next year's class then this year, let's say the Packers have an eight and eight or nine and seven season next year and have positioned themselves to maybe grab one of these top quarterbacks in the 2021 class. You, you, you can't, I mean, unless you pull us a Josh Rosen situation like the Cardinals did, you're not going to really be able to. So you tied your organization to a kid who, yeah, he's got the arm talent and, and there was plenty of love about his prospects moving forward, but people got to pump the brakes when they were talking Patrick Mahomes and all this stuff that, you know, I, I say this all the time. When you have a generational player like Patrick Mahomes, there's only one. Like, don't, don't make the mistake of comping another prospect to a player who will never see again. To say Jordan Love is like Patrick Mahomes is setting the kid up for failure. It's guaranteed. 
he'll never hit that mark. He's never going to reach that threshold. So to suggest or expect those returns, he's destined to fail if that's your bar. If you're thinking more of like, I don't know, maybe an Alex Smith type, yeah, maybe you're going to have something with Jordan Love. But I'm telling you right now, the problem is not going to be in his physical talent. The problem is going to be with the, the ability to handle the pressure of replacing a legend. How many guys, Luke, through the course of NFL history have been able to do that? We can probably count Andrew Luck replacing Peyton Manning and actually Aaron Rodgers replacing Brett Favre. Not many other examples. Steve, Steve Young. Young. Yeah, the, that's the, the only 40th. thing I can think of. We're going back, you know, a quarter century, if not further, when we're calling, talking about Steve Young. So there's not a lot of examples out there of, of young quarterbacks. It usually takes the second or third guy to do it. I mean, the Broncos had a re- still couldn't replace John Elway until they signed Peyton Manning as a free agent. That's not an easy task. And it's not easy because – it's not because players, good quarterbacks – haven't tried to do it it's the pressure is almost insurmountable it's better to be the quarterback who follows jordan love the bust than the quarterback who follows aaron Rodgers. those quarterbacks always have a better chance to succeed so to me jordan love it's just stacked against him who's your number four number three number, number three, three for me. sorry luke i got so tied up in, in jordan love i'm missing my numbers here number three you're so excited about him busting in it. green bay that you love can't it. even count I love it. We can end the show right now. I go to sleep a happy man. <laughs> it's beautiful. Number three, I'm going to go up to number 11. Uh, I'm going to go to the New York Jets. Makai Becton, we talk so much about all four of these offensive tackles. Uh, tons of, of love, all of the different things they bring to the table. I, I think that Makai Becton has boom or bust written all over him. Easily become a perennial pro bowler if he if he lives up to his talent, his ability the, the massive frame and the length and the athleticism he has, he has all the tools to be a pro bowl offensive tackle and a steal outside of the top 10. If he hits his, his potential, I just think that there's just as much of a chance that he doesn't live up to that. And, and that those things don't fall into place. We, we've seen comparisons already to Orlando Brown, uh, Orlando Brown jr. In Baltimore. And again, we've talked about it before on this show where you have to be careful using the exception to the rule, to prove the fact that the next guy who kind of fits that mold is going to be successful. And I just, I, I see a really sharp edge uh, for, for Mekhi Becton. And, and it's just as likely that he could boom and become a perennial pro bowler as it is that, that he could completely wash out and, and not get a second contract in New York. You know, my Mekhi Becton is actually my number two. So I'll just flip it here. And so we can, for purposes of conversation. So we're pretty much on the same page here, Luke, you know, Mekhi Becton, I'm always a little nervous by the player who becomes draft relevant pretty late in the process. And it's not that Makai Becton wasn't a prospect all year long and draft Twitter and NFL draft scouts in general just kind of got to the party a little late. I mean, there were some, some talented evaluators who were mentioning Becton earlier than his astronomical rise late in draft season. So it's not that he was completely off the radar, but I, I just get nervous by the size, strength, athletic ability guy that, that really reaches their draft peak during, a, during or around the combine time. And what Makai Becton, it kind of felt like his stock hit its peak when everybody saw this dancing bear, literally, in, in, in his limited time at the combine before he had to pull out of the event, he's a physical freak. And yeah, if you're going to bet on a first round pick, you want to look at a guy who's got good film and the rare physical traits that you could say, if this, if these two things come together on the NFL level, you got a special player, but a lot of what made Makai Becton appealing for the NFL was the fact that he's gigantic, right? He's this huge guy with light feet, so he obviously has to succeed. We've been down this road before. I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners remember Aaron Gibson from back in the day in Wisconsin. That guy was a 400-pound beast who could do a full split. I mean, he was a tremendous athlete. But when he got to the NFL level, everybody's big, strong, and fast. I mean, you know, Mekhi Becton can bully college defensive ends because – 90% of the defensive ends he's going up against are not going to even get a cup of coffee in the NFL. 
when you're going up against week after week, skilled veteran pass rushers who know how to win in a variety of ways, speed around the edge, bull rushing, you know, stacking pass rush moves on top of each other. Makai Becton is going to suddenly now have to rely on technique over just size and athleticism. And while he did flash enough to think he has this fundamental technique, the foundation to build off of, I don't know if he's ready to just necessarily jump into that offensive tackle. I mean, there's already rumblings that he's going to be a right tackle, not a left tackle. I mean, is he just going to be that gigantic offensive guard? When you really don't know where a guy is going to play, when it's not just clear cut, he is our left tackle, no doubt about it. That's why we drafted him. That's who he is. There's some reservation on my end to think that he's going to eventually become that blindside protector for Sam Darnold that the Jets don't have to worry about for a decade. I just think that when you do have a guy who's so far outside the box of what you normally see from a, like just, you know, this gigantic human being, it looks and feels like an offensive lineman, but traditionally it's really not. It's really not the guy that you see playing offensive tackle. So he has to basically buck the trend. He has to become a new normal to really hit. And I'm not willing to bet on that. I think Kai Becton will be a quality offensive tackle, a decent starter, but he's not going to justify the fact that the Jets use the 11th pick on him. So, Luke, since you had the, the back-to-back four and three, I'm going to kick off here with my three. But since we already did my two, we'll spend a little more time on this one. Another hot take here. And I don't know how many of our, our listeners are going to throw me a lot of shade and heat and just pure venom on Twitter but my three, maybe two, is Isaiah Simmons. I and knew this was on your list. I knew this was coming, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear you talk about it because everyone's going to hate everything you say. Yeah, so here's the thing, right? Every NFL football player is a great athlete. It doesn't matter what they did on the combine. It doesn't matter what they run in the 40. It doesn't matter what the three-cone drills. Every, just about every NFL player is a great athlete, especially linebackers and safeties. They're great athletes. Isaiah Simmons' number one trait is his athletic ability. And it's his number one trait because he's so athletic and so big that the rare combination of this linebacker-safety hybrid, a guy who literally is big enough to play linebacker but athletic enough to play safety, that is so appealing in today's game that is all about space on offense. It's all about speed and quick throws and guys being able to make plays in space. So you have this sense that Isaiah Simmons fits what the NFL is trending toward in terms of, you know, like we have offensive weapon. I think, you know, that they were using the term a defensive weapon with Isaiah Simmons. And I get all that. But when you don't have an actual position, when you really don't know what the heck this guy is going to be, there's a good chance that he might not be great at any one position. We could be looking at this draft three or four years from now, and Isaiah Simmons goes from this top draft pick, top draft prospect, to just an athlete, an athlete trying to play football. Now, there's enough on film to say that he's not an athlete playing football, that he's a football player who's a great athlete. However, the Cardinals and the NFL in general, or the NFL media in general, it it seems like there's so much confusion about where he fits. And when there's confusion about where a guy fits, to me, it suggests he doesn't really have a fit. You know, you see some draft analysts that say, just let him go make plays, throw him out on defense and just let him make plays. That's just not how it works. I mean, that's not how defensive football works. You have a position, you have assignments, and you have to complete them at a very high level. There is some freestyle. There is some you know, just use instincts and your athletic ability and, and flip the field on defense, get the turnovers, do what you got to do. And your playmaking athleticism suddenly trumps the fact that you don't necessarily have that natural fit. But it might take a while for Isaiah Simmons to settle into where that fit is. And is it going to take too long? Is Arizona going to get too impatient? Are they not going to let him settle into becoming a true linebacker? After the first eight weeks, if he's struggling at linebacker, are they going to kick him back to safety? And now his learning curve is stunted because now he's trying to learn how to play safety in the NFL. You could see his learning curve slowed significantly because nobody knows what to do with him. 
he's the kind of guy that I could see his second contract in a different city really blossoming. So for me, Isaiah Simmons has a very big bust risk when compared to the expectations that are around him going into next season. I think if I were to agree with you, and again, Isaiah Simmons was number three overall on my board. And I, I do think, I do think what will set him apart and allow him to succeed is that he's a, a he's such a smart player. I think he is an extra, incredibly intelligent football player who will be able to overcome whatever is thrown at him in terms of, you know, whether it's unique assignments and, and lining up in different positions or just getting used to the, the NFL game and, and the complexities of it. I, I think he can handle that, but it is interesting to look at, you know, a few years ago when the, the Cardinals took Hassan Reddick at number 13, another guy who played on the edge at, at, at Temple, you know, they wanted to move him. You know, we, we were there at the senior bowl that year when they moved him off the ball, he, he blew up the senior bowl. He was a great athlete and, and, you know, showed that off at the combine. That was a guy that I thought, they would be able to do similar things with, and it just didn't happen. He absolutely didn't live up to being a top 15 pick. I, I don't think he's in the same stratosphere uh, as Isaiah Simmons in terms of being a prospect. So I do think that he will succeed there, but it is interesting that we have kind of a somewhat of a case study there in Arizona uh, in the re in their recent history. So have you had a chance yet to take a, even a surface level view of Micah Parsons from, uh, from Penn state? Yes. I have. So I'm seeing I'm on Twitter a, a couple a couple of these, you know, draft Twitter is starting to like, you know, bring up the comparisons. Parsons versus Simmons, you know, is Parsons the same kind of athlete as Simmons? Like, who would you take? So, so this is where the draft becomes such an interesting psychological study. Because six months ago, nobody was in Isaiah Simmons' stratosphere. Nobody was the kind of defensive weapon that we thought or think or Simmons will be. And suddenly here we are just two months after the draft and we're already saying a guy in next year's class has a similar athletic profile and what have you. Here's the difference. Micah Parsons is an NFL linebacker. He, there's, there's not going to be any conversation about him playing safety. It's not going to happen. Micah Parsons should be a higher draft pick or will have a better career in my opinion than Simmons because we know who he is. And like you said, Luke, yeah, I think Simmons is an instinctual football player. He's got a, a high football IQ. But a lot of what did make him successful at Clemson was you could tell he kind of had the freedom that an all-star player on your defense has. Like, you know what? Let's go make plays. Just make Just... plays. You're, you're above everybody else. Like, nobody's going to turn around and say, what the hell are you doing? Like, he had that status. NFL rookies don't have that status. And, and when they get into a locker room, they have to earn the right to be trusted to just go play. Now, he might earn that respect in the preseason, making plays early in the season, and then all bets are off. He's gonna, the, the sky's the limit. But he's not coming into Arizona with the same level of just unconditional, unfettered, go do your thing that he had at Clemson. So it's going to be interesting to see what his learning curve is like. Well, that speaks to something you've mentioned before on this show in terms of the comparison to Parsons is that we tend to get in this mode where as soon as the next class is coming, we already have this, it's not even recency bias because it hasn't happened yet. It's the opposite of that where we're already looking ahead and like, oh, well, this is why this class, we were talking about Jamar Chase, I think it was, you know, where you're talking about how now that this is the new class and this is the one that's that's right there in front of our faces, we're talking about how how much better it is than it's ever been or that this class is better than, you know, we've seen in 20 years. It, it's so easy for us to do, and I think that's why it's fun that you make that comparison because we're already on to the next the next guy who's going to be the same as or better as the generational guy we saw last year. You know what the draft is, Luke? The draft is shopping for a car. The minute you drive that car off the lot, it loses value. The minute the NFL draft ends, that draft class drops in value, and the new shiny model that's on the floor, that's the one you want. That's the draft class that suddenly has all the value. And then when that draft class is done and that's taken off the car lot, the value depreciates, and then the next one is the one that you want. So that's what's happening, right? Micah Parsons is the car that just got rolled out to the showroom. Isaiah Simmons has already lost value because he's, he's a used car now, right? Even though he hasn't played a game in the NFL <laughs> – He's old news. Yeah, you just so, drove it to the gas station. That's exactly. it. Exactly. He's got seven <laughs> miles on it, but you can't bring it back to the dealership. So here's the issue, right? 
that's why you got to be careful when you're looking at a player as like an Isaiah Simmons, when you start thinking he's such a freak and so rare, that's never the case because the very next year there's going to be a player and we're already seeing it 60 days late, not even 60 days after the draft. We're already seeing a linebacker who's being talked about in the same breath as him. So if Isaiah Simmons was that rare of a player, Luke, we wouldn't be talking about Micah Parsons on this same level. And that makes you say, all right, go back now and recheck your work on Isaiah Simmons. If you're already bringing another player in the next class up to that level, should you be a little nervous that Isaiah Simmons isn't quite as rare as you thought he was? And what does that mean for his NFL projection? Because for Isaiah Simmons to be an absolute beast in the NFL, he has to be rare. He has to be a guy who cannot who you won't find someone like him for a very long time because players without a natural position will only succeed in the league if they are rare. We're already talking about a guy who we might prefer over him and the college football season hasn't even started yet. I love it. I love it. You know, my number two on this list hurts. It hurts a lot because this is a guy that I love. He's from a team that, you know, my whole family growing up, that's the team that we rooted for. And it's been really nice to see them have a lot of success lately, no matter how much it makes other people angry. Um, but I think there's just, there's so much we don't know. And we just haven't seen Tua Tungavailoa play football since that that moment i know you hate this i know you I'm hate giving this. I'm, luke the I'm big thumbs down right now and i'm telling you i love this kid i love draft everything twitter, do me a favor draft twitter please <laughs> let luke know this is just this is this i don't even know what the right words are to describe this but uh, you know what, luke let you're me gonna ratio this minutes. right now you're gonna ratio this before we get to ratio yeah, let, let me get go ahead <laughs> let, let me hear let me hear your rationale here I just there's there's not a player a highly drafted player in this class at a more premium position with higher expectations coming off a a more devastating injury that with it has tons of doubts and questions like we're going to see from Tua we, we he's going to a team that is still in the middle of a rebuild and needs to continue to build around him we just talked about the fact that the left tackle they just drafted to protect him is also one of the biggest bustworthy prospects in this draft and we're talking about a guy who we wonder if he's going to be able to stay healthy it's not just about the hip it's about two surgeries one on each ankle for the same high ankle injury two years in a row he is the most talented quarterback in this draft okay it should have been, everybody was talking about, oh, should it be Tua or, or Justin Herbert? No, the conversation should have been, should it be Joe Burrow or Tua Tungavailoa at number one? That's what the conversation should have been because that's where that gap is if there was one. But I love everything about him as a prospect. I think if he stays healthy, he's going to be a potential Hall of Fame player. I, I think that's the, the capability that he has both mentally and physically to play this position. I just won't believe it till I see it that he's actually healthy and that he's actually going to be able to to overcome that hip injury and to stay healthy at the next level. Again, he's six one, what two ten, six foot two ten. He's not a big guy. I just worry about it. I, I I want him to succeed. I hope I'm as wrong as possible about this because he's a great kid and I want him to succeed. I'd love to see him do so well in Miami. I, it just worries me until I see it until I see it for my fit myself with my own eyes. Him on a football field making plays again. It's just going to be hard for me to believe. So here's, here's, here's my response to that. And it's something that I tend to lean on anytime there's a prospect with injury concerns. Football is a violent game. It is just a, it's just, we all know it. There is no reason to suggest, in my opinion, that a guy like Joe Burrow is less of an injury risk than Tua Tungavailoa moving forward in their NFL career. The difference between the two is Tua Tungavailoa has had a little more reconstruction on his body up to this point. But for all we know, Luke, the injuries are now in his rearview mirror, and he got them out of the way in college. We see plenty of quarterbacks who never had an injury history in college Plenty of players in general who never had an injury history in college end up dealing with injuries on the next level. I think it's a little different if you're talking about a running back like Todd Gurley, for example, came into the league with known knee issues, wide receivers, also players that rely more on that quick twitch cutting and running and, and just the burst and acceleration. 
French in guys with like, shoulders and back injuries, that sort of thing. Yeah, injuries for, to those guys at a, those positions that require their ligaments essentially to be strong and sturdy for, for a long and successful career. Yeah, I get it. But a quarterback, you know, a guy like Tua Tungavailoa, who he's got some running ability. I mean, that he's an athletic guy. Uh, but he's going to win in the NFL being like a left-handed Drew Brees. And if the Dolphins can protect him, I don't really think there's that much to worry about. And the fact that he went to a team with a bad offensive line, Joe Burrow did too. You know, there's gonna, he's going to be taking a lot of hits too. And, and maybe he's going to take a lot more hits than he took at LSU. And we don't know if he physically will be able to hold up. So I don't look at the injury risk as something that trumps – the value of who Tua Tungavailoa is. And assuming he's healthy, which is the assumption I'm going to make, I think Tua Tungavailoa is the best quarterback in the draft and may go down as the best player from this class that the Dolphins stole in the first round. Uh, again, none of that would surprise me if it happens. I just, I, I want to see it. Listen, Luke, you're going to get Dolphins fans. I, I just can't wait. I can't now. wait. I can't, I can't, I can't wait. wait for you to take that. Is it, is, it a bad, is it a bad time to mention that their other first round pick, I really wasn't too crazy about either. I, I <laughs> so, they... so listen, I can't wait when we're still doing this show three years from now for us to replay this part of the episode when you can say, and then you could do it to me too. When Isaiah Simmons is a, is a three-time All-Pro and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire led the league in rushing back-to-back seasons. We'll just have him on the show. We'll have him on the show and he can tell you. It'll be great. All right. So you go with your number one guy because my number one has already been revealed. So you go with your number one. My number one, it, I feel like it's, it's the easiest to bust in this league when you're a quarterback who goes number one. It's, it. It, it's the easiest thing to do. And you're sending Joe Burrow to Cincinnati where their offensive line is atrocious, where – you have pass catchers, but AJ Green has been injured. You, your defense. So wait a minute, I'm going to stop you right. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah, no. So go what, ahead. You're, what you're telling me right now, Luke, is the two players that this it. draft, <laughs> that draft media spent the most time talking about: Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. It was a complete waste of time because they're both going to be busts. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that when you are, when the expectations are the highest. That it is it is more likely that you have further to fall. And I think Joe Burrow is everything we thought he would be. Number two overall on my board, only because Chase Young was number one. Would have been number one if he wasn't in this class. I think he has it, everything it, it takes to be a successful quarterback. I don't trust that offensive line. I don't trust the skill position players he has around him. I don't trust the organization. I don't trust the Cincinnati Bengals well, to let me build a team so, around Joe Burrow. So let me ask you this. What does Joe Burrow the bust look like to you? What is it going to take for Joe Burrow to be universally considered a bust? We know what a bust looks like. A guy like Mitch Trubisky, Ryan Leaf. We see these quarterbacks that are drafted high, you know, like the, you know, the old Supreme Court definition of porn. You know it when you see it. You know what a quarterback bust looks like, generally speaking. Are you saying that there's a chance Joe Burrow – will be that kind of player because there's also players who struggle to reach their max upside statistically wins, but you can argue it's not because of him. It's because of the team. What does the actual Joe Burrow bust look like? Let's just say, you know, the Bengals do have a bad offensive line and maybe the skill players are a little washed and there's not really the supporting cast. I mean, what does Joe Burrow have to be for fans to actually say he's a bust rather than fans excusing his maybe statistical performances as a result of his team? Because there is – you have to separate those two buckets here. Joe Burrow might only have 3,200 yards, 19 touchdowns, and 21 interceptions, but he's still playing well because of his su- supporting cast. What do you have to see from Joe Burrow to say – He's a bust. I think if you go back and look at some of the football that Tim Couch played in Cleveland, he at times looked like he could be the guy and that he was doing what it, what was capable of, of winning football. He was getting the job done and, and nothing else around him was helping him get to that point. And I think what it would look like for, for Joe Burrow to be a bust could happen through no fault of his own. 
it, it could be simply the fact that he is not given the opportunity, whether it's not enough time to, to find receivers, whether it's not <laughs> there's no receivers there to find once he has the time. I just could see the planets not aligning in time in terms of all of the things it takes to be a successful football team in the NFL. And, and again, through no fault or mistakes of his own, it, that team could make him look a lot worse than he really is. And, and we could find out too late. Again, I, I'm not saying he wouldn't get a second contract. It just, it, I could see it happening. I could see that team being bad enough over the next four or five years to where it doesn't matter what he does there. They could miss the playoffs for four or five years in a row. He could not throw for 4,000 yards and, and miss the playoffs. I just could see it happen where people could look at that and say, wow, we, we took this guy number one overall and he was supposed to be the savior and he didn't save us. You know, it's interesting because I think this leads to a different discussion where quarterbacks are almost in their own territory when you talk about what is a quarterback bus. It's a really interesting analysis that I think is worth having maybe in another show or another episode. We, we just had this here in Tampa, Brian. How do, you, how do you look at a guy in Jameis Winston who leaves Tampa Bay as the all-time leader in every major passing category, is the only NFL player to start his career with two consecutive 4,000-yard seasons, leads the NFL with 5,100 yards last year, 33 touchdown passes, second only to the NFL MVP in Lamar Jackson, and they let him walk. Because no, he but throws I, I, but again, 4 million I, interceptions. There's, it's so interesting because I'm just speaking to, you, to what you're saying about the quarterback position. It's so unique that it is very hard to look at that and say, was that guy a bust or, or is that that simple at that position? It's, I think Jameis is a great case study because you study Jameis Winston much more closely than I did. But when you watch Jameis Winston, there is equal parts good and equal parts bad. And I think if you're a number one pick quarterback, that's a bust. You can't have equal good, equal bad. You have to be a hell of a lot more good than bad. That's why Baker Mayfield is on a slippery slope right now. His rookie season, he looked fantastic. Last year, he was equal. You never part- miss a chance. You never miss a chance. Boy, you just don't like <laughs> <laughs> Last year, he was equal parts good and bad. I mean, and I don't know what that means for him moving forward. You know, and I think if, if a guy like Joe Burrow has a Jameis Winston type of on-field play, he's a bust. I mean, that, that's just – Jameis Winston's a backup in New Orleans because of that. No other team signed him because his tape was bad enough to override the somewhat decent moments that he managed to produce for Tampa Bay. And, you know, the other thing with quarterbacks, before we move on, that kind of, you know – contributes to this discussion is what about the guys who take off in stop number two, like Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill was a bust up until last year. What about guys like Alex Smith, who with the 49ers, you could argue was a bust. And then he resurrected his career in Kansas city and the list goes on and on. So for quarterbacks, I think it's really hard to determine what is a bust and Unfortunately, some teams learn right away what that is, those monumental busts. I think a quarterback has to be so bad to call them a bust. It almost gives them a little extra time. And we're going to actually talk about rookie quarterbacks in a minute. But it gives them so much extra time before that label is applied. Mitch Trubisky is going into his fourth season in the NFL after being the second pick overall in 2017. And he's done nothing to be in the conversation, to be the Bears starter next year, yet he still is. And there are some Bears fans and Bears analysts and football analysts in general who are not yet ready to label him as a bust. Four years in, that, that kind of patience doesn't apply to other positions. Just real quick before we move on, my number one guy in the list was Austin Jackson. You talked about him earlier. I agree with everything you said. I think the Dolphins reached – uh, in the first round, identifying him as a long-term answer at offensive tackle. I just don't see it. I think if you could give Dolphins fans truth serum, they would admit that this was a terrible pick. Leading up to the draft, Daniel Jeremiah was probably the only guy who was on the Austin Jackson train. And when he was pounding the table for Austin Jackson as possibly the first tackle to come off the board, the reaction from draft Twitter was that Daniel Jeremiah lost his mind. And that shouldn't change just because the Dolphins took him that highly. Or that high. It just, it, you know, you can't have fandom override 
all this tape study and work that you did leading up to the draft. So Austin Jackson profiles as a guy who probably won't be ready to start for a couple of years, like you said. And if you're drafting an offensive tackle with a top 20 pick, he should be your day one starter on the left or right side, or even at guard. And maybe he will be, you know, he did overcut. He did deal with some, uh, some medical issues and, and some unique family related drama where he helped his sister and set him back physically. So maybe his stock will be on the rise. It might be a little unfair to, to, assess him based on his last year of football. But I, I think that was a guy that probably, you know, they could have had in the second round. Now maybe another team would have grabbed him later in the first round, but from a pure talent grade standpoint, he should have gone in the second round. Well, Luke, we have talked about this before we talked about it in our first episode that the quarterback position is what drives the draft and the quarterback position drives the draft because we know that winning teams are often determined by the guy they have behind center. And when you draft a quarterback in the first round, like the Packers did with Jordan Love, like the Cardinals did last year with Kyler Murray with the first overall pick, the Bengals did it this year with Joe Burrow, you're basically saying this guy is the answer for our franchise. But the question becomes, when are they that answer? Is it year one or sometime later in their career? And something that we're going to do here on it's always draft season is a segment that Luke and I are going to call the ratio. And if you guys and gals out there are familiar with Twitter, if you're a Twitter user, which I'm assuming you are, if you're a draft fan, you know that having a tweet ratioed isn't always a good thing to give you guys a little overview. Somebody blasts a tweet on, out on Twitter. Maybe it's a hot take and you have a series of responses. People could retweet it. People could like it or people can comment on it. And the goal is, to have more people retweet and like your tweet than comment on it. Because if there's a lot of comments and not a lot of likes and not a lot of retweets, that you're probably done, means messed up. you're in trouble. <laughs> like you, you got a problem on your hands. So what we're going to do here is take some tweets and some other things that we've seen come across football media and say, are we going to retweet this? Which means we really endorse this. We love this take. Are we going to like it? Which means we agree, but we might not stand on a hill and fight for it. Or are we going to comment on it? Cause we just totally disagree. And it won't always come from tweets. It won't always come from draft Twitter. It might be articles or things that we've read throughout the week before, our, you know, with the next episode. So Luke, why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about tonight in our ratio segment? We're going to talk about an article that Bucky Brooks uh, from NFL.com, NFL Network, uh, put out recently where he talks about why it's so important to have rookie quarterbacks play and play a lot right away uh, because of the, because of a, a million different aspects of it. And, you know, Brian, I'll throw it to you on the specifics. What, what do you think Bucky's getting at here with, with what he expects teams to do with those early picked quarterbacks? This isn't, this isn't the, the old times where, you know, you sit a guy for a couple of years. We talked about the, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, and now Jordan Love. It, it's not the old system where you're allowing quarterbacks to sit for a year or two it, this has to do with coaches and general managers everybody has to win now and when you're making quarterbacks high picks in the draft that goes for them too they have to be part of that solution um what's Bucky getting at here with with his take here yeah, Bucky's all in on playing a quarterback first round pick right away you know he's basically saying that you learn on the field that it's better for team building because you have a rookie quarterback on that five-year deal, essentially, with the fifth-year option, and you can build around that cheap rookie contract. So don't waste a year or two or even three to let this guy learn on the bench when, in reality, the best way to learn is actually on the field. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this because the traditionalist in me wants to say quarterbacks need time. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the, is, the, is the classic case study for what, it could, what a quarterback can benefit from by sitting behind an established order for several seasons, two or three years, and then when his time comes, he has prepared in the meeting rooms, he's prepared on the practice field, he's had preseason reps to get a taste of live NFL action. Maybe he's even stepped in late in games or injury situations to get enough experience to that when he's ready two or three years from now, you have, a, veteran, you have a, a starting quarterback who's meant to be a starting quarterback versus putting players in 
you know, in week one of their rookie season, when maybe the game is moving a thousand miles an hour, they're still trying to win over the locker room. They're a 22 year old kid playing against grown men who are better than anybody they've ever faced in their life. That could be a slippery slope for a guy in terms of confidence and, and just overall that mental part of the game where they can overcome that early failure. So, I mean, I went back and forth on this. I, I definitely won't retweet it, okay? I'm not going to sit there and say I'm all in. I agree with exact, everything Bucky's saying. I think I'd like this tweet. And I'd like it while fighting the temptation to comment on it because I think from a team building standpoint, it is important to get the most out of your investment. And you get the most out of your investment by playing the rookie right away and getting that full five years before you have to break the bank on a contract. That's a five-year Super Bowl window where you can take quarterback money and put it at other positions. You could build an offensive line. You could build a pass rush. You could build a dynamic receiving core before you have to pay that, that quarterback contract. So from that standpoint, I would like the tweet or like this if it was a tweet. But in terms of the quarterback development, I don't necessarily agree. I think we don't see the max level quarterback play that we could see without giving these guys a chance to grow and learn on the bench, even if, even if it's for half a season. I think, you know, you look at what the Giants did with Daniel Jones last year, giving Eli Manning, you know, a few starts before the Daniel Jones era kicked off. I think that helped him. I, I don't think Daniel Jones would have had – his arrow wouldn't be pointing up right now if he didn't have at least some time to acclimate on the bench, especially when he came into the league as the shocking first round pick in the toughest media market in the country to play in, that guy would have broke mentally if he was expected <clears throat> to start in week one and again, replace a potential hall of famer, two time Super Bowl winner. Not every guy's coming into a situation like Daniel Jones. You're not going to have every quarterback, who's suddenly in the biggest media market in the country behind a two-time Super Bowl winner, and suddenly they're the anointed the starter. So it's, it's kind of a luxury pick for the Giants, and they had the benefit of waiting for Jones to be ready a little later than maybe the traditional early first-round pick would be. But I like the tweet. I like this content. I think in today's modern era where the salary cap and team building has to be taken into consideration, it's a fair point, but it's not one – that I would resist someone convincing me otherwise. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I got to go down the middle too. I, I, it's not that I disagree with anything that Bucky's saying. I just think that there's more ways to skin this cat. I, I think that we talked about it and we touched on it earlier with guys like Alex Smith and, and Ryan Tannehill who have succeeded later in their careers. And I think a big reason for why is because scheme fit and coaching is so important when it comes to quarterback success that if you miss on that and that doesn't line up, you can easily end up with a, a bust on your hands and you've invested a very high pick in a quarterback who isn't going to make it those four or five years and, and isn't going to maximize your window at all and in complete opposite, it, it kind of sets you back. So I think that there's just more ways to, to succeed at quarterback. You can do it in economical ways it doesn't have to just be hitting on a guy in the first round getting a fifth year option out of him and, and maximizing your window that way obviously you want to make that happen uh, and it's easier to save on that quarterback and and pay for other guys at other positions than it is to do it the other way around pay your quarterback 30 or 40 million dollars and then try to hit on other positions more economically across the board I just think that like you said I, I wouldn't wouldn't hate this I don't hate this idea I just think that there are more more ways to succeed at the position than just drafting a guy and throwing him in the fire and look we could sit here and pass judgment on everybody's tweets and everybody's content but the real goal here is for all of you out there listening to this podcast pass judgment on us follow us on Twitter ratio the hell out of Luke at Luke Easterling you could ratio me at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. Catch all Luke's draft work at the Draft Wire. If you're a Bucks fan, check him out on Sports Illustrated. You could, you could check out all my draft work at profootballdraft.com. If you're also a Bears fan, I do the Bears coverage for NBC Sports Chicago. Draft fans, we appreciate you guys coming back. Again, checking out another episode. Make sure you head over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to the show. Give us a pleasant review. We always appreciate that, especially now, right, Luke? With all that's going on in the world, a little kindness goes a long way. So drop us a nice review on iTunes. Make sure you also leave your questions there. 
because that's one of the ways that Luke and I can interact with you guys and gals out there and, and take some of your comments and questions and apply them here to the show. Also, make sure you drop your thoughts. Anything you hear on this episode, previous episodes, something you want to hear on future episodes, hit us up on Twitter. We're very interactive there. We reply to everybody, and we'd love to get you know to know your, the fan base, the listeners out there, and get you guys involved with the show as well. But make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you're checking us out, and come on back next time on the next episode of It's Always Draft Season.